Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is Plush Care. Plush Care is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. The Michael Reed Show podcast. Tune in weekdays from 9 on LMFM. To contact us, email now. Michael at lmfm.ie Tuesday the 18th of September with much debate and discussion from now till 11am. This is Michael Reed on LMFM. The Dáil resumes today beginning the political season which will focus predominantly on government spending and revenue raising measures for next year with parties hoping to agree budget 2019. Despite the pressures of housing and health and the little money government says is available to it, there is an expectation that workers will pay less in income tax next year. This will continue a trend of reducing taxes for some that has been the policy since Fine Gael took office seven years ago. Despite all of the cuts over the last seven years, the Irish Tax Institute says every working person is paying more in tax today than we would have paid ten years ago. In effect, this means that somebody on €18,000 a year will work for a week in order to pay their annual taxes. Somebody on 35000 will work from January to March in order to pay their taxes. It's like working for three months of the year for nothing. All of your money goes to government. And the more you earn, the more you pay. If you're on 55,000, you'll work four months of the year to pay your taxes, five months for someone on 120,000. And it's the middle of June before your earnings are your own if you're on 150,000 euro. Sean Healy is the Director of Social Justice Ireland and he's been looking at the options available to government in terms of reducing income taxes for people. He's on the line. And some might argue that you're penalised for working hard. The Tax Institute calls it an aggressively progressive system of taxation, but you say that that should remain the case and that if there are to be cuts, it should apply across the board. I don't accept, uh, good morning Michael, I don't accept uh, their analysis uh, the way they set it out. Uh, the reality is that many people are paying more tax simply because they're making more money. It's not a big deal. It's perfectly normal that people, as their incomes grow, pay more in tax just as they have more in disposable income as well. Uh, we've been arguing for quite a number of years for a fairer tax system in which those who have more pay more, those who have less pay less. If there are anomalies in that system, uh, I'd be quite happy to, 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 to look at them. We've been arguing for a long time and we've been on this show talking mm. about the fact that the corporate sector doesn't pay its fair share and that there are other ways in which people are able to, to, to beat the system, if you like, or perfectly legally. 
uh, and that those those kind of pull loopholes need to be uh, removed. However, when we look at the actual proposals in the government, first before the government in the budget, first of all, we would say that there should be no reduction in the overall net tax take uh, in budget 2019. We we would argue that the the, the money should be spent instead on. Uh, improving Ireland's social services and infrastructure, reducing poverty, social exclusion, increasing the number of jobs for disadvantaged groups like like people with disabilities and the long-term unemployed. But if government is actually going to do it, uh, going to do tax reductions in some ways, then it's important that it be fair. We look at seven options that they're considering in one form or another in this study published today, and five of those options are clearly unfair. Uh, because, why? Because they actually would benefit people f- uh, further up the line with bigger incomes and give next, uh, in some cases, nothing, and in other cases, very little to people uh, with lower, low to middle incomes. So we're, we're saying there are only two things, two ways, if you like, that you sh- you could actually um, have a fair initiative. One would be to reduce the the uh, lar- the bottom l- levels, the the two rates, the 0.5 and the 2% rate. Uh, on, um, of the USC. If you do that, then everybody in the system from 13,000 up benefits. The second thing we're saying is that if you if we increase the tax credit, the PAYE credit, then in actual fact everybody with a job would benefit. Um, and better still, if you made it refundable and they could benefit from the full value of it, then almost everybody with a job would actually benefit. But that from means it. that everybody would benefit to an equal uh, amount. That is it, correct. It, is that fair, given that uh, some are already paying so much more in taxes? I mean, if you look at uh, that... Uh, statistic of having to work a, a week to pay your annual taxes and somebody else having to work six months before they start earning money for themselves, uh, there's a huge difference. Well, let's take a look at the actual, uh, what, what the impacts of those things would be. For example, compare somebody on 25 grand and somebody on 100 grand. If you were to decrease the top rate of tax, which the government is looking at, bring it down from 40 to 39, the person on 100 grand would be 650 plus euro better off the person on 25 grand would get nothing. I don't consider that to be fair. If you were to increase the standard rate band, which is a thing that the government says a lot about, for example, it says it will widen, you know, increase the, or raise the point at which people start to pay the 40%. A person on 50 grand in that situation would benefit by 300 euro, but a person on 25 grand wouldn't benefit by a penny. Mm. So there's a very serious issue there. Is it not possible to allow the person on 50,000 to benefit by 300 euro and then offset that by taxing somebody who's on 80 or 100,000 a bit more than they're already paying? You could certainly do that, but that's not on the table at the moment. What they're talking about all the time is that they're working on the assumption that poorer people are not being squeezed at all and they keep focusing on the squeeze middle which is the I suppose the people who vote for them are the people that they're watching out for but the, the issue in reality is that it isn't there isn't just a squeeze middle there's a squeeze lower income as well people like there's 100,000 more than 100,000 people with a job who are in poverty mm. now I think they, they deserve more priority than somebody on 100 grand and the way to do it is to actually uh, like uh, if you were to abolish the, the 0.5% USC and the one uh, and reduce one point to two to two percent rate, then uh, everybody from from thirteen grand up would benefit from it, and most of them would get one hundred and thirty three euro. Now I think that's fair. 
but I don't think it's fair that they would go the, the, in, in a different way. If you were to increase the personal tax mm. credit by €100, Euro, okay, mm. and these, these suggestions are all costing the government about the same amount, €250 million, that kind of money. Um, well, if you were to do, uh, as I say, increase the personal tax credit by €100, Euro, then everybody with a job would benefit by €100 Euro if... Um, if they made it refundable. In but other words, does that provide an incentive? Value. Does that provide a, an incentive for somebody uh, who has spent a, a long time educating themselves, training themselves, progressing their career in whatever way they have and getting to the top of the ladder, if you like? Well, they already have incentives because they're there. You know, like people have actually uh, used whatever system is there to get to where they are. So, hmm. uh, like, People who are unemployed are looking for jobs. They get a job, even if the job, as we see, over mm. hundred for over a hundred thousand people, is still paying them less than, than the poverty line of income. But yet they take yeah. the job because they they have an incentive to do that. Why? Because they want to do but it. But they have different needs, do they not? I, I mean, but I mean, you talk uh, uh, quite often. I think about the cost of working, whether that's mm-hmm. transport or that's uniforms or whatever the case may be. I mean, the kind of money you're talking about there wouldn't buy a second-hand suit. In these tax changes, is it? Yes. Yeah, but they're the ones that I agree with that, you see. And that's the reason that we're arguing that this isn't worth the candle in the budget, that you should actually put the no, thing into tax. If, you, if you're on €150,000 a year, mm-hmm. I mean, you've different needs, and you might need to buy a couple of suits every year, and uh, you'd need several hundreds for each suit. Uh, and you're talking about giving somebody €100 Euro a year or whatever it is, uh, which would be an awful lot of money to somebody who's on 18000 or 20000 well, Actually, I'm not talking about giving them uh, 100 I'm basically saying there should be no net tax cuts in the budget. Why? Because we have serious issues with social housing, with rural broadband, mm. with the healthcare system and trolleys. We should prioritise those things so that we get... Like, Take it this, this way. A person in 150 grand may well be uh, a couple of thousand better off if they get some of these tax changes into place. But that means, in effect, that that couple of thousand euro isn't actually there towards the cost of housing or dealing with trolleys or, or waiting lists in health or, or producing rural broadband. These are the kinds of things that most people actually want. There are essentials. And then there's the kind of icing on the cake. If somebody has an income of 150 grand, they're not stuck for money. I mean, t- think about somebody who actually doesn't have the poverty line of income, the person you're talking about on 18 grand. A, a person with that, if there's a couple with 18 or 20,000, they're actually in poverty. They're below the poverty line. So the reality that in that context is I think government should be focusing on what is likely to produce the best outcome for the society. In the long term, the person on 150 grand is going to be better off as well if the people around him or her actually uh, have a better life and are able to contribute and are able to get uh, access, for example, because they have rural broadband or don't have to be taken up uh, 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 homeless services or or trolleys and hospitals or whatever. Mm. The story happens to be. The choice government has at a budget time is basically to say, okay, we have limited amounts of money. Now, there's a lot of money available this year, despite what government says, but it's still limited in the overall uh, scale of things. But it could be used for better or for worse. Like, the government can decide who's actually going to benefit from this. What we would be saying very strongly to government is, look, prioritize social housing. Prioritize um, the, the health service in terms of dealing with the waiting list. Prioritize rural broadband. Now, try, if you were looking for a fourth one, prioritize childcare. 
Why? Because it will with childcare, people it, it opens up the the labour market for. for for mothers uh, who might not otherwise be able to to access it, well, mostly it's mothers who look after children. Whoever's looking after the child, uh, very often because of the costs involved, uh, isn't able to afford childcare because there is so little affordable childcare in Ireland. We spend so little on it compared to other countries. We, the, we, uh, the like different agencies like the OECD and and the European Commission and the IMF have been recommending that we triple the amount of money we're actually spending on childcare. That, that's the kind of thing that's required. But you can't do that and give tax cuts to your man in 150 grand uh, because he feels that he needs to buy a few more suits, you know. Mm, well, <laughs> I think the fellow on 150 grand <laughs> might argue the point because his uh, employer might expect him to buy new suits or a new car. And, uh, and, He's able to afford them with uh, and he has a grand. B- he has a bigger house and he has more outgoings and all of these things. Uh, uh, that's, that's true. That's, that's, that's true. Yeah. But, I mean, mm. but like at the bottom, at the end of the day, the cost of living, that there are basic essentials that people have. They're, they're more or less the same kind mm. of cost for everybody. But once you get beyond that, then it's a question of choices about how you spend your money. And, you have, and people have options. And there's a huge difference between somebody on 25 grand mm. or 15 or 25 and, and, and the people yeah, on 250. Uh, as there is uh, between somebody on 50 and 150,000, we kind That's of bra- breezed over that uh, idea of introducing a, a third rate of income tax. Is that something that you would favour? Well, it would depend on how it was structured. There's certainly scope in Ireland for a third tax rate, income tax rate. But I think it should it should apply to people that have a pretty high income. But I think it, there is scope for it, without a shadow of doubt. Across most countries, there would be more than two tax rates, income tax rates. We have only two income tax rates, and that that's part of the reason that that the the forty percent rate kicks in at a relatively low level. 35,000, 6,000. Mm. Uh, and certainly there's an argument that government continues to make that they need to, um, that they need to raise that. But what we're saying, I suppose, is uh, in due course, that kind of thing can be done, but you, you, ha- you should be doing that within a reform system process of the, the wider tax system, the, all of the taxation. Very often when people talk about reforming the tax system, and this is very true of the current government, they're not talking about reforming the tax system at all. They're simply talking about reducing tax. That re- Reducing taxation is not reform. Reform is basically deciding, okay, do we continue to give VAT breaks at 9% mm. uh, to the, the hotel industry? We would, we've argued that mm. you shouldn't. Uh, now, and this is what you meant when you said earlier on uh, that the government said it has little money at its disposal but it, it has as much as it chooses to raise. That's, that, that's one way of raising more money by increasing that back to 13.5%. Uh, there's the idea of a vacant property tax right. and then there's the ongoing problems with corporation tax. Uh, there's a report to be published today by Oxfam that I'm reading about in the Irish Examiner which looks at four of the world's largest pharmaceutical companies, Abbott, Johnson & Johnson, Merck and Pfizer. And uh, according to this report in the paper today, Abbott paid no tax on profits of 1.2 billion euro declared in Ireland in 2015. I rest my case in the context of having made this argument for years that in actual fact the the government and the Department of Finance are claiming that the corporate sector pays 10-11% 11.5% on its profits uh, in tax 
is this in actual fact is cardiology. We have shown over and over and over again that there are quite a number of the really big players pay only two, maybe one, two percent, and that there are some that pay none. Mm. Here comes proof of that again. The bottom line in this, we, we've argued, is that the corporate tax, uh, tax system should be adjusted. So if you want, if you feel so strongly about the twelve and a half percent rate being the rate, leave it there, but have a minimum effective corporate tax rate of six percent, which means that they must pay. 6% of their profits note now. Mm. This is only 6% of their profits. They get to keep 94%. Yep. So 6% of the profits in tax. Now that would certainly increase Ireland's uh, tax take and it would give the government an extra billion a year. Mm. Then they could be talking about making a serious impact on well, some well, of the things we talked about earlier. Uh, uh, according to this report, had they paid their taxes, uh, they'd have paid $155 million, which means they'd have had a billion left, uh, over a billion left. Uh, but uh, the amazing thing about all of this is that there was nothing wrong with what they did. It was perfectly legal, perfectly legitimate, uh, and all part of schemes uh, that the government had put uh, in place. And that is the same story over and over again in the corporate sector. What government has done over the years is changed the corporate tax system to a point where it can be... Um, it basically benefits very big players. Most corporate, like small, medium enterprises, which is the vast majority of businesses around Louth and Meath and whatever that your listeners will be aware of, most of the small ones pay 11, 10, 11, 12% of their profits in tax. Why? Because they don't get any breaks of any substance. It's the big players get the huge breaks and they wind up, as you said, they can do it perfectly legally, wind up paying nothing. The thing that annoys me in that context is government tries to pretend to me and insists over and over and over again, has done, insisted that they're paying 11 or 12 percent when they patently, obviously are not. Mm. And we have produced the evidence many times to government and we have published that evidence and in many cases it doesn't even get reported. All right, 75 percent profit ratio for Abbott in Ireland, which compares to 4 percent in Thailand and Chile, uh, and that probably puts it in perspective. Uh, We are over time, Sean. I have to leave there, but thank you as always for joining us this morning. Thank you indeed. That's Father Sean Healy, Director of Social Justice Ireland. Michael Reed on LMFM. Now, the Minister for Justice, Charlie Flanagan, believes it's worthwhile looking at uh, legislating against filming Gardaí. This uh, follows uh, online threats made against a guard involved in uh, the removal of protesters uh, from a house in uh, the inner city last week. And we're joined online now by former guard detective and sitting Fine Gael councillor Richie Culhane. Uh, good morning, Richie. Uh, I tell Take it uh, that uh, the internet uh, didn't lead uh, to a situation where Gardaí were threatened uh, for the first time, but how bad is it as a a result of the internet? Well, obviously, Michael, um, you know, first of all, we deal with this particular threat um, against this Gardaí in in the city there last week. it, it's it's very very serious, and I mean it's not something that just happened. That this is a once-off. I mean this is happening on a regular occasion. Regular occasions. Uh, any incident that Gardaí go to at the moment, um, cameras are out. They're taking photographs, which is fine. That's okay. But I mean, the the intimidation end of it and the the threats uh, issued against Gardaí is totally unacceptable. Because after all. You know, they're uh, carrying out their duties uh, to protect society. They're following um, um, the, the, the line of the law. 
and uh, any threat against a member of the force is a threat against society. It's a threat against law and order and peaceful. Uh, you know, there's nothing wrong with pe- people peacefully protesting. Yeah. However, when it gets to a stage where you have, um, and some of the comments, I don't know whether your listeners have, have seen some of the comments on social media, which were, you know, threats to kill, uh, etc., um, I mean, the, the vitriol and the, and, the, and the hatred of it, I mean, is something that is very, very, very concerning um, in, in today's world. Mm. So, so how do you deal with it? What's the best way of dealing with it? If it, there shouldn't be a ban on filming, Gardy, what should be done? Well, I think that any threats that are made uh, on the internet, I mean, should be taken very seriously. And I think that maybe perhaps uh, Minister Flanagan uh, we'll probably look at you know that right. aspect of it. I mean, I think that you can't uh, you can't you know prevent people from taking photographs and and doing such things. However, when when it comes to making threats, if you make a threat and you're mm. walking down the street, you make a threat yep. against somebody, you can be arrested and brought before the courts and dealt with in that manner. Mm. Um, if it's the same thing, if you do well, the threatening same thing, behavior is an offence in itself, isn't it? Absolutely, yes. threatening behavior. Mm. But I mean, it, it, these are these particular threats, and you know. The, the, the worrying thing about it is that since there has been, uh, it has been suggested that there will be an investigation, there is an ongoing investigation mm. into it, um, the threats have continued. And I mean, some of the threats are, you know, threats against this guard's life. Uh, there was one particular individual said that he would, he would do life to kill this scumbag. Mm. Um, I mean, if you if you make it if you make a threat like that in public, you'll be arrested and uh, and, and taken before the courts. As I said, but I mean, I think that on the internet, you know, where you can mm. become anonymous very quickly, um, you know, it's easy for these people to uh, to make these 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 threats. However, I think that the minister must look at um, introducing legislation uh, to deal with these particular threats. There's nothing wrong with taking photographs of people, and I mean, you don't want to tie people's hands and. You know, go down and draconian, introducing draconian law, you know, to deal to deal with this. And there is freedom of the press and freedom of people's rights in that. However, mm. it doesn't, when it, it comes to... I'm sorry, it doesn't justify wearing balaclavas either, does it? Well, you know, I mean, if you, if you listen to what happened, and I mean, I think Drew Harris has said that maybe it was inappropriate wearing those. However, the, the, you know, balaclavas nowadays are commonplace uh, with the public order unit. Uh, they wear these for their own protection because on occasions you've had acid that was uh, sprayed um, at, at, in the direction of Garadhi. And, and this is part and parcel of some of the uh, the incidents that have happened at protests such as this. Um, so, I mean, that is, this is, it's a fire retardant, that particular balaclava. Mm. And uh, when Garadhi are expecting trouble of, you know, and they expected trouble on that particular day, and but for the fact that they had numbers um, at that, I know. they weren't um, expecting acid to be thrown at their face, were they? Well, I mean that is that has happened, and I mean there are there are chemicals that have been thrown at Gerdi and have been spread yeah. in their directions at different protests. You see, Mike, your listeners and yourself, you you don't hear a lot of the stuff that goes on because, um, you know, obviously, I mean, I, I would be talking to to members of the force. Mm former colleagues yeah. and the, the, the I, don't want, I don't want guards hiding behind masks because I know what the next step to that is uh, because I'm old enough to have seen what's happened in other countries if, if, if you go to any other countries obviously you go to France or you go to mm. you, go, you, you watch you watch uh, you know Sky Television you watch mm. the incidents that happen in France or indeed in the United States of America you will on regular occasions see Gerdi or 
police um, with their with their faces covered, which is solely to protect themselves, and it can be to protect themselves from physical abuse, uh, uh, you know, as well as being identified. And this is exactly what has happened in this case: is that a guy that has been identified by these people, and we see the consequences of it. Mm. Um, so, you know, I mean, it's but it's, it's just so, something that needs so to be policed. Yeah, it is something that needs to be yeah, released, of it, course. But I mean, you know, by a transparent um, police force, by a police force that doesn't hide behind masks. Well, I mean, every guard uh, when he goes on the street is identified by a number, which is clearly visible on that guard's shoulders, and everybody knows that. So, um, a guard that cannot go out in the street without mm. that identifying number, which identifies him individually, personally. So, you know, he's. It's not as though he's an anonymous. Um, police officer hiding behind a mask. He is mm. clearly identifiable, and he's there. And there's a structure of command um, at every incident and every uh, every protest, such as that. Do you not think that this would be a sad day if we were to say that this should be commonplace? Well, I think that you know there are certain circumstances. I mean, obviously, you go down the street very, very seldom that you see a guard wearing a mask uh, or a balaclava. Very, very seldom you see mm. them out on the streets and patrolling and all the rest. It's only at incidents, at, at, at events such as this, where trouble is expected. But sure, this was just a group of young people. I mean, I mean, there's trouble and there's trouble. Uh, I mean, at worst, you're talking about maybe somebody taking a photograph or a, a video of you and possibly <laughs> putting it on the internet. And then if something like... Uh, the threats that were made are made, well, then you police it and you arrest somebody and you bring them in front of a judge. Well, Michael, if you look at the Irish Independent yesterday and you look at the photographs that were taken of that uh, event uh, and the Gardaí in a line um, ensuring that uh, this property was protected uh, and you see the aggression um, on the streets towards members of the force. What happened first? And because I'm hearing of young sheer... people who are black and blue because of police brutality. Well, look, I mean, I I, I don't know that I wasn't there. Mm. Um, and I wasn't there, so that's the, the question. I mean, you know, we, we hear we hear a lot of things, but look, I mean, do you do you allow do you allow a situation to develop at an incident such as that where mm. a court of law and the high court has has ordered that people be removed from a premises? Yeah, but when people there well, but when people turn up dressed like that, it's very intimidating, uh, and then people react uh, in whatever way they react, and it's probably no surprise that people were uh, frightened in the first instance uh, and then uh, became uh, aggressive in the second instant. Look at Michael. Normal, decent people going about their daily ba- their, their daily business, and they, and people who have a right to protest. There are protests going on in this country every day, uh, at, at various places. Uh, but you know, when it comes to um, being aggressive towards Angela Shikana, who are at the end of the day are just upholding the law, um, and they're just carrying out the wishes of a of a court. Um, normal, decent people don't behave in that way, uh, and whether they were wearing balaclavas or not. Um, the guards are just there to protect life and property. And, uh, you know, any threat against them is a threat against society. That's the way I see it. OK, and we'll leave it there for the moment. And thank you, as always, for joining us. Uh, that's Fine Gael Councillor Richie Culhan, who's uh, a former Garda detective. Michael, Michael Reed on, on LMFM. LMFM. 
Now, Alcohol Action Ireland uh, told us yesterday uh, how it wanted uh, local TDs, Declan Brannock of uh, Fianna Fáil and Peter Fitzpatrick of uh, Fine Gael to withdraw amendments uh, they had tabled uh, to the alcohol bill. And we're joined by Declan Brannock uh, today. And as I understand it, Fianna Fáil has said that it with, will withdraw some uh, amendments proposed uh, in relation to the language, the Irish language used on uh, the labels uh, for alcohol. Yeah, well, I think uh, there is that issue that that would particularly delay the bill. And By three months, apparently. Yes, yeah. and mm-hmm. I, I don't think that I'm here to delay any bill. Uh, we all understand the purpose of the, the alcohol bill is obviously mm. to try and curb misuse, underage drinking. There was an insinuation you made yesterday that you were in the pockets of the drinks industry against public health. Well, I did listen to the playback uh, yeah. of your programme yesterday. Unfortunately, I wasn't available. Um, I'm in nobody's pocket, Michael. Uh, I, but that was the insinuation yeah, as I heard it. Ab- yeah. Absolutely. Mm-hmm. Uh, I think as a public representative, uh, it's incumbent on us to listen to both sides of any argument. I live here in a constituency uh, where I was just doing a tot last night. We have over 10 distilleries. And if I might just outline them from one end of the county to the other, Cooley Distillery, the Carringford Brewing Company, Teeling's, uh, Jack Cody's here in Drogheda, the Listoke uh, Ginnery, the Boyne Brewhouse. Uh, indeed, when I hadn't heard of the, the Magic Hill Brewery in, in, in Riverstown, Dundalk, we have Bowen, uh, we have the Great Northern, and more recently, a new ginnery called Sixling. These companies are employing people. Mm. The product that they're using is the backbone of agricultural community. And secondly, and thirdly, and probably most importantly, we have a government, and indeed uh, in Oireachtas, who for many years have been blowing the trumpet of the importance of rural development, the importance of rural tourism. And these companies are providing people with jobs and trying to enhance uh, that rural tourism. Uh, I certainly am all for making sure that people are aware, and I think people are aware of the dangers of alcohol, but... We sometimes can be too quick out of the traps. And the, the reason I'm saying that is we were the first country who are endeavouring uh, to put a cancer warning on a product. Uh, I think whether you're young or old, we all know, uh, uh, obviously, the risks mm-hmm. of uh, overindulgence in anything, whether it's food or alcohol, and the effects it can have. But... The effects of a label like that are, are serious for imports and exports as well. Absolutely, Michael. And can I take uh, uh, the difficulty that I have with this bill? They're proposing, believe it or not, that it will that the that the labelling cancer will not be on products in our airports. Uh, if I was the manager of or the director of, say, something like Jack Daniels uh, as a, a foreign mm. distilled product. The first thing I would be doing would be buying a bottle of Jemison uh, that's sold on the markets here with cancer on it and then buying one in, in Dublin Airport that doesn't have it on its own. That we're, we're misrepresenting our products. Mm. I, I have a, the, 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 the most strongest view that we need to make people aware and I think people are aware. We, I don't have any difficulty uh, with labelling, uh, unit pricing, providing we're all singing off the one hymn sheet. And uh, we don't always have to be first in this country on things. People talk about the great first on, 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 on the smoking ban and mm. the great first on the plastic bag. And the way of great initiatives... But you'll continue to oppose the cancer label, is I, it? I, I honestly believe until it's something that is introduced race across uh, the board. But we can also go too far in this respect. 
We all know that a motor car is a killer. Does it mean that the car that I'm driving outside, that you're driving uh, to work on a daily basis, should we have a sticker on the front and back window saying uh, this is a lethal product? Alcohol is not a lethal product. Uh, we have the jury out in many instances, whether it's for one day of the week you hear somebody talking about wine and uh, how important a glass of red wine is, and the next day you have somebody telling us it's a, a cancer-causing agent. Anything, any alcohol, food, in in modernity and in in in, in a fashion that is not abusive, mm. and, I suppose and you you reject the argument that was made yesterday. It's very simple. We want people to drink less, uh, and therefore do everything to make it prohibitive. Yes, and and uh, allied. There, there, there's more issues in the bill other than the, the, mm. the cancer causing issue. For example, uh, we spent a huge amount of time debating the whole issue of allowing uh, these small distilleries and visitor centres sell the product from that and that debate went on quite a while in the doll uh, in the last term these people are in the business of attracting in business to suggest that they shouldn't be allowed to advertise uh, that they have a a facility for visitors Mm. Uh, and more importantly I think is the reputation and message that we're sending out that we who are producing a green product, we who are probably producing most of our agricultural produce and particularly uh, the brewing components in probably the greenest environment uh, in the world, are the first to tell people that it it, it may be a a uh, cancer-causing issue. I'm quite sure alcohol has other difficulties Mm. other than cancer, uh, as have other products. And it's not methadone. Uh, You want to bring some balance to it. Responsible drinking, uh, but not uh, a lethal drug, not necessarily so. Uh, uh, Absolutely. But uh, there's nobody, uh, I think there was an insinuation yesterday that that there was a conspiracy and that uh, the TDs who have expressed reservations, including myself and uh, Mm. Deputy Patrick here locally... All had your uh, amendments written by the drinks industry for uh, you. No, no. Uh, that, that, that was said I have to say I, I we're lobbied on a regular basis on all types of products um, uh, we did have it compiled but that was based on consultation uh, and obviously it can be very difficult to get uh, everybody to agree on the wording of it but certainly from my, I can only speak for myself from my point of view uh, I did have lobbyists from the drink industry uh, uh, speak to me uh, and have regularly speaking to me as are many other lobbyists in the Dáil and you do have to hear their side of it they, they have a large number of people mm. employed in this country and uh, when, They didn't buy you, did they? Uh, well, uh, I have to say I mean, I have to ask, <laughs> They certainly didn't uh, buy me a drink yeah. never mind right, buy me Because yeah. that was the insinuation uh, 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 yeah, I, mean, I, was, I, I was very surprised at, I have to say because uh, as I said yesterday whatever about Declan Braddock's politics or Peter Fitzpatrick's politics uh, I, I don't think anybody would make that kind of an assumption about either of you. Yeah, I, I think Ewan McKinney has a job to do. He's em- mm. employed uh, on behalf of an organisation, obviously, that is very much in the context of making people very aware of drink. Uh, but the suggestion that anybody should have a tattoo, and for the benefit of your listeners, Michael, a tattoo is a turning off of the tap. Uh, is where the award originated from in terms of telling uh, soldiers that they had enough to drink. The reality is this. People, young people, are aware of the dangers of it. They make choices, unfortunately, sometimes, and I'm sure mm. I, I, that he who's without sin cast the first stone, I take a drink myself and on occasion will have maybe a tibble over and above the uh, the norm. But 
They're very aware of it. The other issue, I think, that has maybe not really been focused on this whole debate is uh, the whole issue of single uh, unit pricing. Coming from a border constituency, and until such time as I am 100% sure that based on Glasgow having uh, adopted it, but that it's adopted, uh, obviously, by the institutions that are not even up and running uh, uh, in the north, we have a major issue here of an exodus, and that, that will happen uh, if there's not conformity in the issue of the unit pricing. So, you know, let's not buy the pig in a poke. That's what the doll is for, is to debate the issues. Uh, the issues that I will have as a border uh, TD may be different to somebody in another part of the country. Okay. But but remember this, agriculture continues to be the backbone of this country, mm-hmm. and certainly, you know, I... I I know people will say whether it's beef or otherwise that uh, there's certain carcinogens there. I'm not promoting that, and I shouldn't be even saying what I'm saying here. Are we going to start labelling everything? Okay, I have to leave that there just in 30 seconds. Confidence and supply. There's a group within Fall, uh, high-ranking TDs, uh, said to be opposed to extending the agreement. What are your thoughts? Um, Fianna Fáil attempted to form government. We didn't succeed within 72 days of that. We were obliged to try and form or help to form uh, stability, which the country needed, particularly in the context of Brexit and, uh, and our growing economy. Another two years. Uh, it's not up for discussion until after the budget. Let's see what Fianna Fáil can deliver in the okay. budget. I'm quite sure Michael Martin, uh, as leader, if he believes there is merit in, in and that we are making some imprint both on the budget but mm. also in terms of what people who are listening to this programme know that okay. the issues are housing and homelessness. You're, you're, and we haven't, you're not we going have, to say this morning. Uh, right? I, no, I'm, I'm, I'm a humble backbencher, okay. uh, Michael. Yeah. I certainly okay. will express my view. Yeah. Uh, it's almost three years since I got elected. Uh, I'm, I'm terribly disappointed in the impacts that both housing and homelessness uh, and health mm. And the impacts they've had, indeed, a okay. lot of the a lot, a lot of the successes came about as a result of the national treatment course from the Fianna Fáil push. So we will try mm. and put an input okay, on the budget, and we will try and put an input okay. if I, there is I to be to a continuation. Ahead, but yeah. leave it there, and thanks for coming into us so this morning, Fianna Fáil TD for Loud, Declan Braddock. Michael Reed on LMFM. Now let's find out what you've been saying to us. Marie Kearns uh, joins us with some of uh, the calls and text messages that have come to us this morning. Good morning to you, Marie. Good morning, Michael, and good morning, as always, to our listeners. Kieran phoned in and he was listening to your interview with um, Richie Culhane and he says that he's surprised to hear you try to justify the actions of the protesters by saying the Gardaí wearing balaclavas was intimidating so people had the right almost to feel angry because they were being intimidated. Would Michael make the same argument if a girl wore a low-cut top or a short skirt that she's asking to be attacked because she's looking like an easy target? You are making an argument that what you wear influences how people react to you. Okay, well, I'm not sure that I can uh, make the same comparison in my mind. Uh, I understand the point uh, and it probably is a point well made, uh, but uh, I think uh, there's a difference in uh, the uh, level of power that uh, a police officer has uh, in comparison to how vulnerable somebody else might be. Paddy and Kells also phoned in and Paddy says, Michael, if you had a spare house and people showed up demanding to gain entry to it or to take it over, would you be okay with that? 
The main point of Garda involvement is that people have the right to private property and if we do away with that right, we destroy the state. And Paddy says that he was surprised by your stance. Yeah, well, I'm not arguing with anything that Paddy has to say and I think I'd uh, agree wholeheartedly with what he has said or or most of what he has said, uh, but I'm not sure that... Uh, two wrongs make uh, a right uh, and it's uh, not uh, the court order it's not the policing of uh, the court order or the implementation by police officers of uh, the court order and the removal of people illegally occupying a premises uh, that I, I was questioning it's uh, the way police officers are hiding behind masks Well on that t- point still Moira mm. phoned in and Moira feels that the guardie get a raw deal she says in an ideal world, Michael, everybody, of course, would prefer Gardaí not to have to resort to covering their faces. But when you hear of the level of abuse that are targeted on Gardaí, and not just the Gardaí, but members of their family, mm. you can understand why Gardaí are resorting to this. OK, well, I'm sure if uh, people find it understandable, that's uh, one thing. Uh, I'm not sure... Uh, that it's not uh, the first step on a rocky road and that's where my fear would lie uh, because uh, I think uh, all of us have uh, the right uh, to being treated with some level of respect, certainly not to being abused and certainly not to being assaulted. Uh, but that's what the police force are for and Garda Shia should be able to police these matters, I would have thought. Barbara phoned in to say that she's sure that some of the Garda who had to be at that property that was taken over are struggling to put or to keep a roof over their own heads. She says, where do you draw the line? Can people be allowed to take over private property? No. So the Gardaí have to carry out their duties or else it would be a free for all. Yeah, I think that again is responding to the question about the dress and the masks. It's how you carry out your duties or what way you're dressed when you're carrying out your duties. And Marie says that it's terrible that we are returning to a time when people are being evicted from properties and homes in Ireland. I thought that went out when the British left our country. Okay, well, I don't think that was uh, the case in North Frederick Street. It was uh, an empty building. Cool fact, a crocodile can't stick out its tongue. Also, you can get health insurance for a month or just under a year in some states. United Healthcare short-term insurance plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage for you. Learn more at UH1.com. It's that time of the year. Your vacation is coming up. You can already hear the beach waves, feel the warm breeze, relax, and think about work. You really, really want it all to work out while you're away. Monday.com gives you and the team that peace of mind. When all work is on one platform and everyone's in sync, things just flow wherever you are. Tap the banner to go to Monday.com. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do it. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. 
has been unoccupied for some time uh, that uh, this uh, Reclaim the City group uh, decided to occupy. That's right, Michael. Uh, and another listener says that on uh, the housing front, Michael, are you surprised that people are pushed to this, that they need to highlight how bad the situation is? Sometimes desperate times calls for desperate measures. Okay, and I suppose you could make the same argument that I'd be making uh, in relation to the way it was policed. Uh, Two wrongs don't make a right. Okay, we'll move from that then to the issue of tax. Uh, Text from Fran, obviously following your interview at the top of the programme with, um, who was it, Sean? At the top of the program, I had to think of it there. It went Mm -hmm. from me for a moment. Uh, And Fran says, the big firms should be made to pay more tax. When you look at Apple, who may be paying 2% tax when they should be paying 12% tax. Apple owed this country billions, says Fran. All right, but I think we'll be hearing more about that Oxfam report and how that pharmaceutical company uh, paid no tax whatsoever on profits of 1.2 billion euro declared in Ireland. Another listener, if I can move to a different topic, Michael, and I know we're going to be covering it later on in the show, and that's to do with the pay parking um, that there's talk from the council that it may be increased again in the county. And Una was in touch to say that the pay parking in Drada has only just been reduced to have it in line with Dundalk. And now it appears the council wants to put it up again. And Una is wondering what is going on in Louth County Council? Why is there a budget deficit and who is responsible for this? Una wants to know. Okay. So we will be talking about that later on. Um, Another listener was in touch in relation to housing and it's not to do with the topic that you were discussing earlier, Michael. It follows on from other discussions earlier in the week and it's to do with the issue of derelict properties. And the listener was saying that I see that Loud County Council have been very proactive in um, CPOing houses to re, you know to do up and wonders why the same can't be done in Meath County Council. Is that not, is this not something that could be explored? The listener wants to know. Okay, interesting thoughts. Uh, we'll come back to more of those thoughts uh, in a moment. Uh, but uh, of course, it's a, a big day today on uh, the political front uh, with uh, the resumption of uh, doll business. It's also a, a big day today for farmers from every corner of uh, the country who'll be making their way to the ploughing championship and uh, there's two opinion polls today which looks at the attitudes of farmers towards uh, the political parties and there's a, a rude awakening I think in particular for the Fine Gael party which sees its popularity drop by 8% in a poll that was carried out for the Irish Examiner and O'Deal Evans, news correspondent with the Irish Farmers Journal, joins us now because uh, the journal has its own poll out and uh, it's not much better the news for Fine Gael in your poll, Odile, with uh, Fine Gael dropping in popularity by some 5%. Good morning, Michael. Yes, exactly. So our poll is of a 1,000 farmers right across the country um, and as you said there rightly, uh, Fine Gael's support is, uh, for first preference votes from farmers is at 48% down, as you say, about 5% on two years ago, but also down from a high of 62% in 2009. Um, and then Fianna Fáil support is about half of, half of what uh, Fianna Gael supports. So still, number one party of choice for farmers. All right, but uh, farmers uh, very unhappy with certain issues that I- impact 
on rural Ireland in particular? Yeah, so we've um, asked farmers, you know, how do they rate government performance on a number of issues? Uh, two top ones that they rate really poorly are broadband and healthcare. Uh, and to a certain extent, there's a bit of regional variation in the broadband side. Um, so Munster and Leinster, okay with it. But definitely Connacht, uh, Connacht Ulster, um, 71% of people there saying that uh, government performance is poor or very poor. Um, so you would expect uh, more of the political parties, the opposition ones, to have capitalised on this. Um, but uh, it'll come to the government now in the budget 2019 to see, you know, can they hold that support from farmers. And Brexit will dominate uh, the political focus over the coming weeks, if not uh, further uh, afield. Uh, but it's certainly something that's on the minds of the farmers and uh, they're a bit concerned, to say the least. Yeah, they are concerned. Now, the vast majority of farmers, when we asked them about government performance, and said, look, um, we're not sure yet. And it's very difficult to rate a government's performance on Brexit when we don't know what the end game is here. So a certain number of farmers um, have chewed out until they see what the finalisation of, of negotiations are. But uh, in saying that, again, border regions far more concerned about Brexit, say the government performance isn't good enough there in terms of, you know, jobs um, and, and progressing negotiations. So it's uh, still a wait and see for a lot of farmers, you know, and it's only March 2019. Um, and so we don't know exactly um, what's going to happen, whether we'll have a free trade agreement. Um, but it is uh, not good news for farming. OK, but very much a, a, an east-west divide in terms of views. Mm, definitely, definitely. And even, I mean, even among age groups, you know, we ask farmers what do they think of rural transport? And, you know, it was that 18 to, to 44 bracket that rated it most poorly. Um, and, you know, they're the people, some of them may not have cars yet using rural transport, and also those with younger children uh, getting the bus to school and stuff. So they're uh, less happy with public transport as well. All right. Thanks for that, o- Odile. Odile Evans, news correspondent with the Irish Farmers Journal. Uh, Marie, what else have you got for us today? Well, just on the presidential election, Jim from Dundalk phoned in to say that even though people are saying that, um, you know, going on the latest polls, that the presidential election could be a waste of time and money because it looks likely that Michael D will be returned. He doesn't think that this is the case. He thinks that it's good in the interest of democracy to have an election. And then if Michael D Higgins is returned, well, at least people will know that the majority of the people in the country wanted him there for another term. Okay, I suppose that's the idea of going to the polls uh, but uh, thanks uh, for sharing those thoughts with us and thanks to everybody who has been in touch with us. If you'd like to add to what's been said, as always, we'd love to hear from you. Our telephone number is 185715958. That's 185715958 if you'd like to ring us today and tell us what's on your mind. Share your comment with us. Marie and Maggie are taking calls on that number or you can text it to us, your comment that is, and our text number is 0861800658. Michael Reed on LMFM. Yeah, the doll resumes uh, this afternoon and it's uh, back to the business of running uh, the country. Michael Brennan, political editor of uh, the Sunday Business Post, is with us. Michael, thanks uh, for joining us as always. And of course, uh, with uh, the time of year, this is uh, the most busy of all of uh, the political seasons with uh, the countdown to the budget. Uh, but what happens today as uh, the politicians return undoubtedly uh, refreshed after the break? Absolutely, um, you know they they have had a, a quite a lengthy summer break. Most people are well well back at work for a long time at this stage. The the big issue, I suppose, is is the budget. It's actually very close, just coming up on October ninth. 
So you you already have negotiations going on between Fianna Fáil and the government, between the independents in government and, and their, their fellow ministers. And then Pascal Dunne's had to meet all the various ministers and tell them that he doesn't have a whole lot of extra money. There's about 800 million available. So be moderate with their 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 spending demands unless they can come up with some, some ideas themselves. Mm. And of course, that's always possible, isn't it? It is. Um, you know, we've seen, I suppose, two big things floated in, in recent months as possible source of extra revenue. One is an increase in the carbon tax, which would be, you know, put up the cost of the petrol and diesel you get at the pumps mm. of your home heating oil. And that will be justified on, on using the climate change agenda that they, they want to reduce emissions. And therefore, if you put up the price, it might uh, put off people from, from using up as, as, as much fossil fuels. Now, that's fine, I suppose. But if you're commuting, you may say you have no option but to, to buy them at the increased price. Mm. So that's one, that's one possible revenue raiser for the government. And the other one is the, the famous uh, 9% VAT rate for the hospitality industry uh, uh, reports from the Department of Finance saying that it has basically outlived its usefulness and they, a lot of people in the government believe it should be abolished. But there is, you know, there's still a strong lobby to keep it there, especially for, say, hotels and restaurants in rural areas who mightn't mm. be doing as well as, as, as hotels in Dublin where they have 90, 95% occupancy and, and you know, they're, they're finding it hard to keep their rooms actually repaired because the demand is so great to fill them. And the thing is that if they were to restore it to the old rate and they were to continue to uh, gather the revenue uh, uh, as uh, the uh, rate with the increase that they're getting now, you'd see an extra 500 million euro available to the government. That's right, and that's a, that makes it a very tempting target because, you know, the the other big demand on spending-wise is I think pensioners especially have, have come to expect in recent years that there will be a five-year increase for them in the budget. Mm. It's happened in the last two budgets, and, you know, you know as people, people then think, well, it's certainly going to happen this time. So if the government did that, will, you know, cost hundreds of millions. So, so that 500 million, the government may make the calculation look, there may be some political pain from scrapping the special 9% rate and putting it back to 13.5%, but we'll get a much better bounce if we can pay for the, the €5 extra in the pension and a few other things. Mm. And housing and homelessness uh, will feed into the agenda, and very much so. We have some big motions coming up in the next couple of weeks, but a vacant property tax is something else that the government might look at. It is, yeah, and I, I remember looking into this quite a bit last year, uh, particularly given reports, you know, in the census that there were maybe 178,000 homes that were vacant on census night, and it seems like a very sensible idea if you could use a tax to somehow get people to put those homes back into action. You know, you'd solve the, the homelessness crisis in a stroke. But when I looked into it, it seemed clear that I think the census greatly overcounted the number of vacant houses, unfortunately, that there were houses they just didn't get to or get to look at properly. And therefore, the number of vacant houses isn't anywhere near as high as as the census figures. And the government seemed to be thinking that if they try and bring in a vacant property tax, that it could be more effort than it's worth. But that by the time you track down all the vacant houses, find the owners, then try and, and get a tax from them, 
that you you've you've consumed a vast amount of energy and you may you may be better better spending that time and energy elsewhere so look i understand mm. why people like the idea of it i like the idea of it myself but from talking to people it doesn't it doesn't maybe present itself as a as a as a solution that's not to say they may not have come up with a better way of doing it but that that's certainly what, what i would have been told from from looking at it okay there'll be some attention no doubt in uh, the coming weeks uh on who becomes the next president, uh, we've uh, a vote on the 26th of October. Will we, will we be voting in a referendum at the same time? Yes, I think we're going to have a referendum as well on removing blasphemy from the Constitution, um, you know, which I think will be will be fairly fairly straightforward you know the issue is that it's it's there in as as an offense and i think people would see it as in some ways maybe a, a an outdated provision so i think it's likely there's going to be a referendum on that as well there's there's certainly legislation um, and bills lined up for that in the doll this week it doesn't though look like we're going to have the issue of the place of women in the home that article in the constitution being dealt with simply because the government and the opposition and civil society haven't managed to agree on whether you should replace it with a new form of wording to say that, you know, that we value the place mm-hmm. of cares in the home or that one parent, male or female, should should be allowed to stay in the home or provision made for that if they want. So there's no agreement on that and therefore that's that's not going to happen with the presidential election. Isn't it amazing sometimes how complicated what appears to be the simplest of things can be? Absolutely. I suppose what really was the death knell for the referendum is when you have the likes of National Women's Council of Ireland saying don't have a referendum. You know, you would have thought in the past they would be leading the charge to get it taken out. But but they're also looking for more time to 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 debate what goes in in its place. So, yes, Mm. what looked simple has turned out to be actually quite complicated. Big debate tonight, I think, on the closure of post offices. That's right. Um, and, and this is a curious one because, you know, there's been a sort of mixed reaction. There's been some big meetings in parts of rural Ireland, in Donegal and Cork, um, about the, the closure of their post offices. But in other parts, there seems to be almost an acceptance that, you know, some of the post offices were very small, uh, were, were on their last legs, and the, the people there have taken the voluntary package and retired. So it's hard to see how this one is, is going to play out. But certainly, I think, obviously, the, the opposition believe that there's still more left in it and, and, and are going to use the return of the doll to, to bring the motion and, and make a big deal about it. So I, I think, I think it, there's still more left in this yet, but there hasn't been the sort of almost popular uprising you might have expected when a 159 post offices that the closure of those was announced. Mm, and we'll have uh, many issues raised uh, which aren't on the agenda as such uh, in leaders' questions and so forth. What will you be watching out for today, Michael, uh, in terms of the attitude of the opposition? Will it be something that uh, will... Uh, give it an indication as to whether there's an appetite uh, for an election or an appetite uh, to commit to another two years under the confidence and supply agreement that Fianna Fáil has or not? Yeah, I, I think I'll definitely watch and the Fianna Fáil backbenches with interest uh, today during leaders' questions. You know, you can't always read too much into faces and expressions, but it's always interesting to see what the dynamic is and you know how 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 
the Fianna Fáil TDs feel about continuing that conference supply agreement after the budget? Are they willing to do another another year, even another two years? Or or do they believe, look, at the, it's outlived its usefulness and they want to have an election? The problem for them is in the, the, the Red Sea poll we did in our paper at the weekend, they were down three points to 22%. Uh, Fine Gael were, had an 11-point lead uh, on Fianna Fáil. So they call an election, and yes, there are seats that Fianna Fáil will win. I think there's no doubt about that, regardless of what the polls say. Hmm. But are they going to win enough seats to be in a, a position to form a minority government of their own? Or would they be forced back to negotiate another conference supply agreement with Fine Gael from a weaker position? So... That's the the practical difficulty, and I think that's why Michal Martin's view will prevail for for the moment at least, which is to to hang on and hope that things improve. And they'll be very mindful of your poll. Uh, the politicians will always tell you that opinion polls are a snapshot in time, but the Sunday Business Post poll is a, a tracker poll and is watched with greater attention by the politicians. So undoubtedly that will feed into their thinking and being so far behind, they also run the risk of not just coming in 11 points behind Fine Gael, but that there be a surge in both directions and that they could be uh, way behind when it comes to the real poll. Yeah, there, there is a, a risk. I know when we talked to Michal Martin last week at his uh, party event out in Malahide in Dublin, he, he sort of laughed off the polls and said he had the self-confidence to be able to rely on the real poll, the one you've just mentioned. Um, but it, it is an issue for them. And then it, I will give credit to Michal Martin. He has talked about the, the issue of the Brexit talks and the need for stability. And there's no doubt we see the the sort of uh, you know incredible political infighting that's consuming the Tory party across the water at a time of Brexit. The last thing we want is is a, a, a sort of a chaotic election here with a caretaker government while we're trying to get a negotiation on on the Brexit talks in these last couple of months. Mm. So I think I think you know the, the, some people have been mocking Fianna Fáil for saying you know that they're doing it for the country and so on. Obviously they have to look after their own interests, but it certainly is a case that that uh, by allowing the government to to be in office for this period of Brexit talks. That is important, and and I think that's another reason why you won't see a, an early election. Okay, the Scally report into cervical check obviously released uh, during the summer break, uh, and no doubt uh, the politicians will avail of uh, the opportunity to raise some of the issues in that report. Yeah, there are statements in the Dáil this week on the Scally report, and, and I think that's a good thing because... He actually put together a terrific report in a short period of time. I was there at his launch last week, and he really gave a voice to the women who weren't told about the results of the audits into their cervical smear tests. And you you'd often don't see that in official reports. They're often quite dry and focused on maybe the medical point of view. So he has 50 recommendations, and I you would hope that the pressure will stay on to implement all of those because his his vision was that if it was done then cervical cancer could be eliminated entirely in a couple of years and women hopefully wouldn't be treated as as badly as they have been by by people in the health service and particularly unfortunately their own consultants. Okay and uh, I take it uh, abortion, Brexit uh, and housing will be the other issues dominating. 
Yeah, that's right. Obviously, they, they, after the, the Eighth Amendment referendum, you now have a situation where the, the doll has to legislate for abortion uh, in line with the result of the referendum. And, you know, Minister for Health, Simon Harris, is anxious to try and get that done before Christmas, if possible, which is a, a tight enough time frame. But that will be there. And then you have the housing crisis. You mentioned earlier on mm. there's going to be a motion of no confidence in the housing minister, Owen Murphy, next week. So, so quite a lot of pressure on him, and that I think it's fair, it's fair to say that and Brexit they will be the main subjects for 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 leaders' questions. I would say all all this week. Okay, well, proceedings uh, begin at uh, two o'clock. We obviously, we'll all be watching it with great interest. And thank you for joining us in advance, Michael Brennan, political editor of uh, the Sunday Business Post. Michael, Michael Reed, Reed on, on LMFM. LMFM. Now, as you heard on LMFM news, uh, Louth County councillors have voted uh, that there will be no change in the rate of uh, the local property tax for the next year. Local councillors, P.O. Smith of Labour and Finnegale's John McGahan join us now. Uh, well, one of them do, I hope. I'm not sure. Yeah, uh, I'm, I'm here, yeah. John, how are you? Good morning to you. Uh, <laughs> uh, uh, we've obviously lost Pio, uh, as we can hear. Uh, but uh, the uh, decision not to increase or decrease uh, the rate uh, was uh, against the advice of uh, the chief executive. Yeah, I suppose, Michael, just to start off, to give your listeners a background of the options that were on the table yesterday at our meeting, um, because we have to be quite clear about those proposals and the consequences that would have been there. So there were four proposals. The first proposal was from Sinn Féin, who asked for a 15% reduction, which would have resulted in 1.5 million being slashed from the budget without providing any alternatives. They do it every year. That's fair enough. We're used to it. Well, Sinn Féin councillors do that every year on every council across the country. That's the party policy, yes. It would have affected the most vulnerable in County Louth who rely on services. So that was the first issue. The second one was then two members wanted to increase the property tax by 15%. The third one was the one that Councillor Smith supported and the one that was passed yesterday where members wanted no increase, which means the Chief Executive will still have to consider cuts. And the one that I supported yesterday was an increase in the property tax by 5%. Now, if you just give me a second to explain Mm. what those increases would be, because I know when you're on the radio and people are listening to you, you're like, oh God, a 5% increase, a 10% increase. Let's talk about the 15% increase. Had it gone ahead, a 15% increase would have resulted in an additional 1.48 million income, which would have provided the services in the council. That's fair enough. 34% of householders in County Louth are valued between naught and 100,000. So had we increased it by 15%, they would have been paying an extra €13.50 a year, which works out at 26 per week. Now, that wasn't going to be supported yesterday, and that was quite obvious by the tone of the meeting. Let's get on to the uh, point that I supported, which was an increase of 5%. Had we voted for an increase of 5%, for those living in the lowest-valued houses, between naught and 100000 they would have been paying an extra €4.50 a year. If you're living in a house valued at 250000 to 300000 you would have been paying an extra €24.75 extra a year. That would have been kicking in in 2020, 2021. Now, the important thing about this is that would have brought Loud County Council an extra half a million. And the amendment to our, and, and what was part of our proposal was that that money would be ring-fenced to be spent on where we have current spending pressures in Louth County Council, like housing, when I was on your show last week about mm. housing maintenance, and roads. 
So that's a quick background to yesterday's meeting and mm. where the proposals were essential. Uh, and even at that, the chief executive uh, was arguing that that wouldn't be enough. She wanted the 15% increase, saying that there wasn't uh, money to fund housing maintenance uh, and so on. Uh, but uh, that was the Fine Gael position. I think all of the Fine Gael councillors uh, voted in favour of that 5% increase. Uh, Pio Smith is back on uh, the line with us now, and uh, thanks uh, for joining us. Uh, you voted uh, in favour of no increase. Yes, I voted in favour of no increase, and uh, I did that for, for, for a number of reasons. Uh, primarily because of the fact that I believe that central government, and not just this government, but successive governments, do not take seriously the funding of local government. And, you know, one of the main reasons why we find ourselves in this position at the minute in Low County Council is the fact that we have... Uh, we have loans, we have land loans that we're paying off interest on at the moment. And that arose because of the fact that back in the boom times, an instruction was given by central government to low county council to buy land. And then the bus came and we were left carrying the can in relation to uh, the, the capital payments and the loans and the interest payments on the loans. And on top of that then, we've got the FEMPI, the unrolling of the FEMPI legislation. And uh, civil servants in low county council are not paid through the, the exchequer funding. So they're paid from council receipts. Hmm. So essentially, my argument is... And this, uh, just, just to explain to people, the FEMPI legislation means uh, that uh, civil servants will have their pay increased. The cuts will be res- uh, restored. Yeah, and I have no problem with that. But hmm. what I have got a problem is that uh, people's property tax is going towards those two things uh, because of the fact that at the moment we are paying... So was Alan Kelly lying when he introduced the property tax? Well, I, no, I agree with the property tax. No, but, but I mean, I mean, it, uh, but, I mean it was to, uh, to, to, to... I mean, to say that Alan Kelly was lying is a very serious statement to make. I'm not going no, to... I, no, I, 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 I asked you, was that the case? Because we were told at the time by the Labour Party minister that this was to keep the parks open, to keep the streetlights on. It wasn't to pay for wages. In my view, it's not to pay, pay for wages. Uh, you know, in my view, it's not to pay for, for loans that were... That, taken out by the council on the instruction of central government. I mean, that's where I stand. That's what I believe. I mean, what Alan Kelly said or didn't say doesn't have any bearing on, on where, what, what I'm saying, because it's my interpretation of what the property tax is, mm. based on the Tornhill report. And the Tornhill report is what the government based the introduction of the property tax on. Well, so it has very much... The minister's interpretation of that is their interpretation. Well, well, uh, the minister who introduced it uh, is uh, the same fellow who people will remember for the water charges and the housing crisis and wants to take over the Labour Party, as we've been hearing this week. Let me come back to that, and let's just really focus on what the issue was in the County Council yesterday. And I have no problem coming back to that. Sorry, there's, a, there's a, an alarm going off here. Uh, so, I have a problem with asking people to pay for things that central government should be paying for in the first place. That's the big issue that I have. And is it right for people in, in, in county law to pay off loans that central government should be paying off? I mean, people living in Mullen and Moneymore and other social house, housing areas in Drada can't get the maintenance done on their houses because the money from the internal capital receipts are being used to pay off loans that the council incurred because of the direction from central government. 
Okay. Uh, that's the big issue. I'm not sure if you can sort out that alarm. Yeah, we'll go back to John McGatton, though, in the meantime. I, I think the point uh, that you've been making to some degree uh, is in line with what the chief executive has been saying, is that people will pay for it one way or another. They either pay for it yeah. through the property tax or they pay for it to increase parking charges or, or whoever the council goes about raising the money. Yeah, well, like to be fair, Councillor Smith, me, him and I aren't too far away from each other on this topic. We just have... No, because it was a Fine Gael Labour government that introduced the property yeah. tax. Because so years ago, we used to do all these things without the property tax uh, and that it was paid uh, through general taxation. Yeah. So one of the points that you were talking about there and Pio in the last uh, point there was central government funding. So let's talk about central government funding and the funding that County Laird has gotten from central government. So I just have the figures here in front of me. Since I was first elected as a councillor in 2014, the total government funding for Laird County Council was 11.5 million. That was reduced by 950,000 in 2015 to 10.5 million. Then in 2016, it was 9.8 million. In 2017, it went back up to 10.7 million. And this year, the budget estimate is 10.4 million. So that's a 330,000 euro and 220 quid reduction in last year's budget. Look, I agree. The argument is constantly brought up that we don't receive enough funding from central government. I'm sure every single local authority in the country makes the same argument on a mm. daily basis. Well, of However, course they do, because Fine Gael and Labour decided to put money into the banks. Yeah. Michael, we are not going to be able to change the amount of money we receive from central government overnight. That's not going to happen. No, but people listening to us could. They could vote for somebody else. Well, yeah, and that's their entitlement. This is national policy. But what I'm I'm talking about here, and let's get back to the property tax in County Laird, we can't change... No, let's get rid of the property tax in County Laird. Let's go back to what we used to do. If you don't mind if I just finish my point. We can't change the funding we get from central government. Yes, you can. What we can change... No, you can what we can change overnight is to get an increase in revenue that the council get through by increasing the property tax at a minuscule level of a cost to the life taxpayer. And there is a serious trend around the country and in local authorities um, who are increasing the property tax mm. in recent months. Longford, Westmead, Wexford, Leash, Tipperary, Donegal, Leitrim, Offaly have all increased their property tax on a range of What did the council do a decade ago? What, what, what did the council do a decade ago? Well, I'm not, I'm not too sure. I can't. Well, they didn't that. have a local property tax. You're saying it's impossible to survive without one. We're able to survive ten years ago. I'm not, and I didn't say it's impossible to. Survive well, you said you can't get rid of it. I didn't, no, I did. I, I didn't say that whatsoever. So well, you what said you said you can't get rid of it. We can use the property tax as a mechanism to increase funding for service in County Louth. Now, what has happened as mm. a result of yesterday's results is that the Chief Executive and the Executive of the Lyle County Council have a legal obligation to bring a balanced budget before councillors. Mm. And now, because, I suppose, we fail to give her any type of a breathing space with an increase, the only areas that she has said that she can look at um, to try and bridge this gap is our discretionary spend. Mm. So at the minute, as a result, and I really, I want to be quite clear here, this isn't scaremongering or anything like that of the sort, mm. but I'm just outlining the areas where she may have to look at... Yeah, the situation she she's found herself in because of national policy. So P.O. Smith, uh, isn't it right to say that this is as a result of national policy, the policy implemented by the Fine Gael Labour government? No, that's absolutely ridiculous, man, Michael. And you know, I know you need to get a bit of a... A bit of headlines in, 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 on the program. Oh, I always, I always love when politicians say I'm looking for headlines. <laughs> it, mean, it, means, it means, it means I. No, uh, I, look, I have no problem answering your question. Yeah, I tell you where the problem arises. The problem arises with the ab- abolition of rates, because when we had rates in Loud County Council, we were building social houses. When mm. rates was abolished, money came from central government. 
when there was a recession, central government cut funding to Loud County Council. That's the reality. Mm. Rates was a steady income stream. We don't have that anymore. Uh, you know, and uh, like, we, if we had rates, we wouldn't be getting instructions from central government to buy land in the height of a boom when the current chief, oh, sorry, when the chief executive then did not want to buy that land. Mm. But he was instructed to buy the land by the minister at the time. Mm. And now people in Loud are paying for that mistake. Like, this has nothing got to do with uh, the property tax as such. And John McGatton's right. We as councils can't get rid of the property tax. Mm. I mean, but uh, are we going to see an increase in parking charges uh, and people paying it in another way? Well, the chief executive said she wanted to increase parking charges across the county. Uh, now, as far as I'm concerned, that's down to each municipal district whether or not they're going to increase the parking charges. And then the broader complication there, because... If we increase the parking charges in Drogheda, say we bring it up to 20 cents from, uh, from 1 euro to 1 euro 20 cents, that money can be ring-fenced then for spending in Drogheda, and similarly in Dundalk. And that could bring in an extra 600,000 euros. Okay. And just actually, just, just actually on that point, because again, to be fair to Councillor Smith and I... Very briefly, because I'm over time, yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah, well look, mm. a couple of weeks ago, Drogheda decided to reduce the parking in Drogheda. That's 250,000 euro that they slashed from their budget. And I, as a Dundalk Council, would be saying that should be 250,000 that should be taken out of the Drogheda municipal budget. It wasn't a decision made by Dundalk councillors, it wasn't a decision of mid-loud councillors, and let them carry the can in a funding deficit in mm. Drogheda as a result of their vote and their decision. God, uh, I don't think you'll get many votes uh, when you look for them in Drogheda. Well, I'm a Dundalk councillor and I'm very proud of you. Uh, I, th- I thought you were hoping to run in the election. <laughs> very much. <laughs> we'll, to, we'll, we'll, remind, we'll remind you of that. Uh, well, at that, least he's honest. <laughs> at least he is. can't say I'm not honest. I'm straight. Okay, we leave it there. Thanks both of you for joining us here this morning. Uh, Finnegan Councillor John McGahan and Labour Party Councillor Pio Smith. Michael Reed on LMFM. Now, uh, apologies if you're experiencing some dropout in uh, the broadcast uh, today. I'm told our engineers are working on uh, the problem. I've only just been made aware of it. Uh, all sounding well in the studio, but I'm told uh, that uh, on the radio uh, that we're on and off uh, and hopefully that uh, will be rectified as soon as possible. Time now, as is usual, around this time on a Tuesday, though, for our weekly visit to the Garda Crime Desk. As usual, there's a number of incidents Garda are investigating locally, and perhaps you can assist with those investigations. Sergeant Ronan Farley of Navin Station joins us for the report this week, and we begin in Carlingford, uh, where there's been a spate of burglaries. Yes, good morning, Michael. Um, We had three burglaries in Carlingford Town in the early hours of yesterday morning. Now, these all occurred between 3.30am and 3.50am. And we know that uh, three culprits were involved. They parked a car at Liberty Car Park in Carlingford. They walked up Tolstall Street. They broke into a restaurant there. They actually took the safe out of the restaurant, but they weren't able to open it and they abandoned the safe. They also then broke into a second restaurant in Dundalk Street and finally they broke into the Cooley Credit Union in Monksland in Carlingford. Um, We know now that, as I say, that there was three culprits involved and they parked their car there at the Liberty Car Park. So we're hoping that perhaps somebody was out and about, maybe coming home from a late night or coming home from work. They might have seen something. They might have seen these three people. They might be able to assist. And if they can, we'd ask them to contact Carlingford Garda Station. Okay, we'll go to RD next and uh, some tools that were stolen from a van around lunchtime yesterday. 
Yes, this happened at 12.40am yesterday, so uh, fairly close, 12.40pm, sorry, uh, close to lunchtime yesterday afternoon in RD. A van was broken into in John Street and uh, quite a number of tools were taken, uh, valued at about €3,500 worth. Now, the culprit in this case was observed. He was a male in his 20s. He had dark, shortish hair and he was wearing a green puffy jacket. Uh, he got into a light-coloured Mazda saloon car and he drove in the direction of RD Town. So if you were in the John Street area yesterday afternoon, you might have seen this individual, you might be able to assist, and RD Gardy would appreciate a call on that. To Oldcastle, where some bikes have been stolen from a camper van. Yes, this camper van was parked at Church Street in Oldcastle um, overnight and Friday night in, and into Saturday morning. And sometime between midnight and Friday and 6am on Saturday, two mountain bikes were taken off the rear of that van. Now, they're quite expensive mountain bikes. One of them is a black and white GT mountain bike. It's valued at €1,000. And the second one is a black Trek mountain bike valued at €700. Now, our line of inquiry is that the culprits are from the locality. So we're asking people in the Old Castle area if they have any information on this. If they know somebody who's trying to offload mountain bikes, if they have any suspicions, please contact the local Gardaí in Oldcastle. Okay, we've uh, a number of items stolen from vehicles uh, to report on uh, this week. Um, We go to Dunshockland for the next report where some property was stolen from a parked car. This happened last Wednesday morning at quarter past ten in the morning. A car was parked at the community college in Dunshockland. The passenger side window was broken um, a black Dell laptop computer was taken, a Samsung tablet and an Apple iPhone 6. The culprit got into a black Skoda. He got into the passenger side, so obviously there was a driver and it drove off. Uh, so we're appealing to anybody who was in that area last Wednesday morning at quarter past ten. If you can assist, please contact the Gardaí at Dunshockland. And to Rathoth, uh, a little bit like what we heard uh, about in our day yesterday, some tools stolen once again from a van. Yes, Michael, this this is a spike in the last couple of weeks. Vans are being broken into and tools are being taken. So we're asking tradespersons to up their security, be conscious of this. Um, criminals are driving around, they're cruising around, they're opportunistic. They only need one or two minutes to clear out your van. So just be very aware of that and please mark your tools. If we recover property, uh, we can trace it back to the owner. In this particular case, this incident happened last Thursday morning uh, between 12.10 and 12.20 in Clonkeen in Rathote. A van was broken into, a large amount of tools were taken, uh, grinders, drills, sanders, uh, saws, laser levels and so on. Obviously the culprits had transport to remove that amount of equipment from the scene. If you have any information on that, please contact the Gardaí at Ashbourne. And uh, again, uh, similar to our day, I take it that there was a high value placed on the tools that were stolen and that's possibly the attraction or the problem from the workman's point of view is that it's easy to rub a lot of stuff that's or a, a little amount of stuff that's worth a lot more. Yes, and it's easy to yeah. offload it. Obviously, yeah. there's a marketplace and just people willing to buy these items. Uh, and as you say, there's been a, a spike in it, uh, not just locally, but nationally as well, I, I think. And uh, we've another such report, uh, tools against stolen from a van, this time in Dunboyne. This was also last Thursday morning, Michael. Um, It happened at St Peter's College in Dunboyne between 8.30am and 1pm. A van was opened there and again, 
equipment was taken, a, a chainsaw was taken and a long pole hedge cutter was taken as well from that van. Uh, Gardy at Dunboyne are investigating that to depreciate any information. And just if I can finish, Michael, mm. um, a lot of your listeners will be going to the National Ploughing Championships over the next couple of days. On Garda Siakana, have an information stand there. Uh, there will be plenty of crime prevention officers in attendance. So we will be able to offer you whatever advice you need in relation to home security or farm security or security of your business premises. And to please call in, say hello, and we're more than willing to answer your questions and queries. And uh, I take it as well that people should be checking the press as well in terms of getting there because uh, there'll be a lot of traffic, a lot of congestion, and there's designated routes for people. Exactly. Just follow a simple, follow the colour-coded route into the colour-coded car park and you can't go too wrong. All right, and uh, good luck to you getting the car out. Make sure you have your wellies with you, if nothing else. Uh, thanks indeed, uh, Sergeant Ronan Farley of Navan Garda Station. We'll return to the Garda Crime Desk in around the same time on next Tuesday's programme, but that's where we bring our programme today to its conclusion. Our time has run out on us once again. Remember, as always, there'll be a podcast of today's show available on our website, lmfm.ie, this afternoon. Thanks to Marie Kearns for producing, Maggie McGuire for researching, and Chris Murray in the control tower. I'm Michael. God willing, we'll see you for our next programme tomorrow morning. That'll be at 9am right here on LMFM. Good morning. Bye-bye. The Michael Reed Show podcast. Tune in weekdays from 9 on LMFM. To contact us, email now. Michael at LMFM.ie Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com style for free shipping and 365-day returns. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply.